So if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know how important music has been in my life. Uh, I've ever since I was a kid, and as I slowly became aware of the of the sounds that were being played in the car, the music that my mother would put on to put us to sleep on long rides home, uh, having the ability to actually pick out vinyls and pick out music and put music on, the music that we would listen to during holidays, my first vinyl being Michael Jackson's Thriller, all the way up to my teenage years deciding that I wanted my first job to be at a music store. Uh, and then fast forward beyond that to me going to school for radio for a short period of time, to me ultimately becoming a music video director and directing for pretty huge metal and, and uh, hip-hop acts. Music has been a big part of my narrative as an artist. And what I love about music is that it's transportive. It's, uh, it's like a marker. It's a flag post for where I am in my life at that period of time. If I want a time travel machine, music is what takes me back. If I want a machine to take me to places that I haven't been to yet or stretch my imagination into worlds that don't exist or to help me try to build characters that I've never met before, it's usually music that I turn to as the catalyst, as the grease in the wheels that I need to go off on an adventure. And so with this show, I love to do music episodes. I love to sit down with musicians. I love to introduce all of you that are listening to new music, to music that you may not have heard before, to have us sit down together and celebrate the music that we do love and to talk about what it means to be an artist and how it is that we can survive in our current climate as an artist, which is proving to be incredibly difficult. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, have a seat. This is my show. For those newcomers that are just showing up, we've been here for a little bit. The show's been going on. I think we're getting close to our sixth year. I gotta check and see what our anniversary date is, but we've been doing this for a while. And uh, one of the things that I have set out since day one on this show is to get folks to talk about stuff from a real perspective, to talk with people that work in the business from a real perspective, to talk with artists, to talk with chefs, to talk with musicians about creativity and how it works and how we stay sane as we battle through our lives and the decision that we made not to become mindless cattle and just do the nine to five gig. Now, if you are a nine to fiver, I'm not shitting on you, man. There's like a lot of people that love that that love that way of life, and they have their own uh, forms of expression and creativity that they do. Whether it's on the weekends, whether it's when for the vacations, there are folks out there that have figured out how to survive, and we accept all of you. And uh, today's episode, <laughs> I just finished recording it. Today's episode started out as one of our musicians' episodes, which generally is a great conversation. I get to sit down and talk with an artist that I've never met before, and we get to communicate, meet, and oftentimes when you do these sort of things, as a podcaster, you're struggling to get past what is the normal PR kind of stuff, right? This is my album, let's talk about my album, here's some of my history, right? It's kind of redundant. And what you're trying to do, at least I'm trying to do, is navigate to the core. And sometimes that takes a lot of work, but with today's guest, it took absolutely no work. I think we got there even before I started rolling. We got there on hello. Uh, I'm excited about today's guest. I'm, I know you all uh, may or may not know of the band that we're going to interview today. I mean, they've been around for a long time. You may have heard 
some of their music in movies. You may have heard some of their music in commercials. I mean, they had one of their tracks in uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. So (laughs) I know how many nerds out there are film nerds. You might have heard their music in that if you were listening closely. Their track, Fa Fa Fa. I am talking with Frederick from Dado Rock. Dado Rock. Amazing band. If I had to describe them, it's like Devo meets Talking Heads with a mix of the faint in there, a lot of electronic. But I think the most important description to use when talking about Dado Rock is fun. It's just fun. And as always on our show, when we do musicians, I'm going to take you on a sonic adventure with this. Okay. So we're going to pepper in every once in a while. We'll pepper in some tracks. I, I won't do as many tracks as I usually do because this is a long interview. I don't want the show to be like six fucking hours, but there'll be some tracks in here from their new album, which comes out this Friday, the 28th of September. Their album is called Media Consumption Pyramid, and that will drop then. Um, I think you can listen to a few of their singles currently on YouTube. I was just listening to Rabbit Hole. Great song. We're going to play these tracks, Um, and you're going to really start to understand and fall in love with how Data Rock came together, how Frederick finds his inspirations. We're going to tackle all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about the business. We're going to talk about depression, battling depression. We're going to talk about the stages of, of, of being an artist, from learning your craft, from the hunger and the hunt and taking every job you possibly can, to then realizing that maybe you should stop doing that redefining yourself and redefining your comfortability and finding creativity and, and and defining a life for yourself without guilt that is fully immersed as an artist and being an artist. So it's it's going to be a great, great deep dive into what it's like to be a musician and what it's like to be an artist. And you're going to see a lot of parallels here because I know a lot of you that are listening are in the music business or in the movie business rather. And uh, you're going to see a lot of parallels in here, man. A lot of parallels. Before we get into it, welcome to the show. Thank you, everybody, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. It's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I've been running contests. I have to award some pins, some new folks. And once we hit 100,000, <laughs> we hit 100,000 on Instagram. It's crazy. That's like a fucking stadium full of people. That's nuts. Uh, I'm giving out three pins to some of the best fans, um, and so that should be happening soon. For those of you who haven't signed up yet, you'll find a link in my Instagram bio, right? In the Instagram bio, there's a link to my links page, because you can't put more than one link on an Instagram bio. So there's a link to my links page, and there you can actually sign up to be part of the ILWP Superfans Club, which is the only place that you're going to be able to see who's there when we release that uh, in the late October. Um, But it's also the place to sign up for access to be able to see the new T-search and the new merch, man. I've got a new shirt that's available right now. It's at a discounted price for everybody that becomes a super fan. So definitely sign up for that. I'll be putting that information out as well. Um, And of course, any money that you um, spend goes to helping the show really what happens you know what i mean um other good news exciting news we'll talk a bit a bit about it in the back end of this it looks like we're gonna be hitting the end of the writer strike 
It seems as if last night, it seems as if uh, folks are maybe coming to an agreement between the writers and the studio execs. We'll find out. It's been all like quiet, quiet. Apparently, they're going to let us know more information later in the week. So maybe by the time this episode drops or the second episode of this drops, all that information will be out. But I, I fucking, it's about time. What has it been? Five months? Five fucking months that we've been sitting around waiting? So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for that strike to finally end. I'm excited, excited for me and Will to start to really hit uh, the industry hard again and try to get these features made, these movies made that so many of you want us to make. Um, and hopefully we get past this hurdle and get to that next step. So I'm pumped. But for now, let's get to what is exciting about today's show. So like I said, we talked, two of us, me and Frederick talked for three fucking hours. Okay, so and it's all solid. <laughs> it's all really good. That's why I didn't stop it. It's just, it, it's really fucking good. And, you know, you'll hear the two of us sort of feel each other out and then really find a core bond. And then through that bond, support each other. You'll hear that on the show. You hear us talk about what we've been through, learn from each other. Like he's, he, he shares some fascinating stuff that I didn't know. Some like, uh, some myths and some ideas about the origins of Robert Rodriguez's career is in there, which is fascinating. Um, we talk about the music business. We talk about, uh, touring. We talk about, uh, panic attacks. Uh, you're going to learn a lot of really interesting stuff about me during the show. And you'll definitely learn a hell of a lot about Frederick and data rock. And then hopefully you guys are going to fall in love with this band that you may not have known existed. And for those of you who are fans, maybe this is the deep dive that you've always wanted. You know what I mean? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna split it into two episodes, probably roughly about an hour and a half a piece. We're gonna release one today, because you're listening to it, on Tuesday, and then the second part will release on Thursday. That way it gives you a break. Look at it as sort of like an extended uh, bathroom break in the middle of a long movie. Um, but don't boo-hoo. Like if you're if you're so pumped about this after an hour and a half, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and listen to the other great musician episodes. I interviewed Dream Theater. I talked to Big Black Delta. I talked to a ton of synthwave bands. So all that stuff you can find at inlovewiththeprocess.com. All right. So that's it, man. Let's get into it. Part one of Data Rock. So uh, turn up those headphones. Find a nice comfy place. Um, part two, I'd say get a beer. But at this part, you know, maybe you're still drinking coffee. This is early in the morning. You on that fucking exercise machine. You chasing away that cholesterol like I should have been doing. I didn't go for a bike ride today for you. Let's just put it that way. So I'm blaming you if I drop. <laughs> like I said, crank up those headphones. We'll start a track. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm 
Frederic, thanks for being on the show. How are you this morning? I'm great, uh, and thank you for having me. By the way, it's not morning; it's already <laughs> dark outside, and I'm I'm looking at some very old trees. I'm assuming they're at least 200 years old, and I just came down from the mountain. <laughs> I took a stroll walking in the mountainside. I'm very black metal today. I love it. What about you? How are you doing? Well, it is uh, here in Los Angeles. It is the morning. I drag my ass out of bed to talk to you, which is great. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you get dressed or are you still in the undies drinking coffee? Well, oh, use your imagination. That's the best part oh, about no. recording Oh, no. Oh, no. I just did. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Man. That makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get my imagination. It's too early. I'm just kidding. It's I'm too just early. Kidding. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm excited excited to have you man because uh i've been a fan of your music for a while man and i like yeah. just sort of going back and re-listening to everything preparing for the show uh, mm -hmm. I, it was just surprising to me um how much i've heard you guys all over the place and uh you know it, like you sort of fell off the map for a little while with me and then getting the new music and listening to the new stuff which was shipped to me um yeah it's awesome dude and like I love, I love the new sound. I love the uh, synth stuff in it, and I just, I would say that more than anything else, when I listen to your music, it just sounds like you're having fun with your stuff. Yes, yes. Oh goddamn, that makes me happy. That's exactly what happened. That that that. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, some of the music is uh, is kind of, I guess, a little bit hard and even dark. And sure. And some of the lyrical content is just fun and games. But yeah, I totally agree. That th that is what happened. We had fun again. Which I love about. See, okay. So one of the things I love about having musicians on our show because I, you know, I have a lot of filmmakers on the show. I'm a director myself, and so mm -hmm. that's the game that we usually play in. But what I find fascinating about what you do and what we do is that it really all comes down to uh, trying to survive, um, you know, being a creative and, and making that choice to be a creative person for your life, right? And then mm -hmm. yeah. trying to sort of weed your way through the ine inevitable, which is like at, at a certain point you have to deal with business and you have to deal with all sorts yeah. of outside sources. And then through that whole thing, you've got to try to find a way to stay uh, happy, stay motivated, stay creative, and to try to yeah. find like the fun in what it is that you do. And I, I, th I think that's what I'd love to talk to you about today is like mm -hmm. how you, how you, cause you get, how long have you guys been doing this stuff? You guys been doing this stuff since early two thousands, right? <laughs> oh my God. Isn't we started the year 2000. We're talking 23 years. Yeah. It's crazy, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So, I mean, for instance, the guy who plays the keyboards, the man referred to as Stieg, the mystical Cosby operator. <laughs> um, I started playing in a band with him when I was 13. Wow. Which means, uh, oh my God, I don't even know what year that was. That was in 89. Wow. Okay. So when you guys, when you guys started playing in 89, what was the motivation for it? Did you guys want to be rock stars or did you guys just want to fuck around? And play instruments. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. So I. Well, he was. Uh, he's older than me, and and he he had um, he had he had uh, you know getting into to the high schools that specialized in music was very hard mm -hmm. because a lot of people wanted to get into it. It was only just always just one class, and it's kind of a big deal to get into music high school. And and he did to my great surprise because he's a goddamn weird oddball. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and and he <laughs> and he played uh, progressive rock on his Rickenbacker bass guitar. And <laughs> and for some reason, uh, these talented uh, older teenagers, they sort of. Uh, accepted me for whatever talent they saw when I was 13. So when I was 13, I was playing in bands with people who were in music high school at 18. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, and, you know, at that age, that's a big deal. Huge. It's a huge deal. <laughs> that's like Miles My- Davis uh, being accepted into uh, <laughs> to the big band when he was 13. You know what I mean? <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> not exactly the same but, but it was a big deal and and no it was i mean we we were we were nerds to a you know uh pathological degree degree we yeah, were we were yeah. we were nerds mm-hmm. you know so everything we cared about was music and you know very much historical music and we would you know we would in depth listen to everything by you know from black sabbath and frank zappa to Diamanda Galas or The Fall or mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. Bad Brains or whatever and and um and coincidentally when I was I was around 12 13 I started hosting my own radio show mm. and I was 13 my co-host was 31 and he had a record collection of 7000 What are you doing you like hanging out with older people all the time at 13 Yeah no he was my 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 neighbor so he was a parent in the neighboring house okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah it, uh, yeah I know it sounds You're like weird. hanging out at bars and <laughs> meeting friends <laughs> I kind of did actually cuz yeah I played my first show at the legendary black metal concert place in Bergen Oh, wow. In the year of 1989, so that was 12 or 13. Oh my god! First time I played a regular show at a pub with with a you know or a club concert hall, whatever it's called. Sure. Uh, with a paying audience, so yeah. So, but but for us, we we come we don't come from Los Angeles, baby. We come from Bergen, Norway. <laughs> that's a <laughs> hey, that's a tiny little place on the west coast of Norway, and kind of the closest town to Bergen is Newcastle uh-huh. in the UK, right? Which is and it's an ocean between us. So so we're very much a rural little place. And if you're really into music, that was like that was like being uh, I don't know, a teenager in the eighties being into Foxtrot. I mean, if you were into music, you were into something kind of exotic and you never even thought about it as a potential career. Sure. Right? Sure. It's it's more about, you know, the nerds who really like chess and they don't think they're gonna have a career, but they just love the intricate uh, mathematics of chess. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was the only thing we cared about. We just wanted to kind of can we try some other because we were so impressed by the fact that for instance Black Sabbath were just a group of friends who went to the same school together. Yeah. Like shit like that isn't impressive anymore if you if you if you do if you put together a band of kids studying at uh, something like, uh, uh, oh, what the hell is that? The music school in uh, in Boston. Oh, at Berkeley. Yeah. So if you have a lot of kids from Berkeley who put together a band and everybody's supreme, that's not impressive. No, yeah. But when you have this group of friends from I don't even remember where where Black Sabbath is from, but they're from a tiny little place like Blackpool or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget. What and, then, from, and, yeah. and then we realized, like, okay, so these guys were just they were just kids the same age who went to the same junior high or whatever it was, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then we were like, what the hell? And then we realized, like, something like like even at the time, you know, eighty eight, eighty nine. Then you have bands like Stone Roses and Charlatans, and it's the same story, you know? Yeah. Like. Like like Blur, they're so ridiculously good at what they do, but they just 
They're just some teenagers from London who knows how to, I don't know. We were so impressed. For us, music was more like, uh, okay, can we do this too, you know? Sure, sure. And with that approach to music, to be honest, we kind of have the same approach to music still to this day. Like I, it's like this. I don't really regard myself as a musician or composer or lyricist, singer or anything. I'm, I'm just a music fan who kind of fooled everybody into thinking that I'm one of those musicians. You know? <laughs> well, dude, that's the recipe. That seems to be the recipe for so many things. I mean, for me, it's kind of the same deal because I I didn't grow up here in Los, yeah. I didn't grow up here in Los Angeles. I grew up in Boston, and so oh, okay. Okay, so okay. to do film and to try to make movies, especially when I was doing it, which was right around the same time that you guys were, were getting started. So I was like 99, 2000. Yeah, and, but you had Richard Lanklister and you had the whole auteur uh, exciting you scene in the, mu- in the film world, uh, which we were also very much inspired by. Sure, yeah. But he lived in Austin. <laughs> so for me, I was in a, in a city that didn't have a film community and didn't have right. that whole thing. And so my whole process of figuring out how to make it happen was kind of in a backwards reverse way that right. now is my style and so i like it, it makes sense when you look back at like black sabbath and stuff it's like those guys essentially were playing jazz but they were playing jazz in like this weird weird dark way and yeah and it just it blew everything up because of it you know it changed the yeah. whole system because of it so yeah no i know and, and i mean I, it's probably weird to talk about black sabbath like this but I think, to be honest, I think, I mean, when you're a kid and you hear stuff like, like the Beatles catalog, that's just, that's, that's mind boggling. Sure. That's, that's, sure. That yeah. doesn't make sense, right? That's too much. Yes. But then you start reading about their history, which is, it's, it's so hardcore how they, how they sort of uh, learned the skill of making music like that. Because if you look at facts, they spent two years in Hamburg. They didn't do it like you know, spoiled brats would do today and they go to Hamburg and they smoke weed every day and they rehearse for half an hour a week. <laughs> they had to, they went to, they, they went to Hamburg and they didn't have any money whatsoever. So they had to work their ass off to survive. And they did three sets per, per set was like 45 minute sets three mm-hmm. times a day, seven times a week. It's crazy. And their employer demanded of them to know all the new hits, right? Now, if you do that for two years from 60 to 62, don't you think by that time you know how to play every single contemporary pop song ever written? Yeah, right, right. Because you've got that 10,000 hours in. You've got that amount of time where you're just working together seamlessly as a band, too, and, and sort of figuring out yeah. each other's rhythms and then and then trying yeah. to uh, you know pivot and write on the spot like uh, yeah you can see where all those skills come from for how they made yeah, that and then, but then and then and that's you know that's kind of almost similar to how you see the you know the the chronology of the big composers they, they taught from each other right yeah, yeah they learned from each other and they taught each other right so there were so many systems to to how uh, a baroque whatever kind of piece was written and how you reference whatever happens in that piece in a in a new piece and blah 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 so many rules and regulations for how certain kinds of writing sure or or for, f- formatted pieces were supposed to go right then when you had something like Beatles, by the time they, they start releasing music, I mean, the first stuff is obviously for children, mm-hmm. but then when they 
go adult it's like i mean that's too much right but 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 then when you listen to something like sabbath it's something about what they do that it's so kind of simplified even though even you know a lot of the songs have, have many, many, many different parts, and it's pretty progressive song structures in a lot of the songs. Sure. But there are riffs that are so similar to thrash metal riffs, repetitive, two, fing- two finger on one hand kind of riff. Yep, yep. Uh, and, and, then, and, then, and then in around 88, it's already been a couple of years since, you know, Metallica and Anthrax and uh, Sepultura or Slayer or Creator or Nuclear Assault or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a little while, right? But And then you see the greatness of Sabbath. Yeah. Not, not only did they do this little thing, they didn't only do this riffs, they, they only did, you know, changes from volume four. What is that? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it, it, but then, and then you realize that this amazing band—they're just four kids. They—they they come from absolutely nowhere. They don't—they don't come from a city with a, a, a long, grandiose music history. Yeah. Right. Right. But, but but they have signature. They have such a strong signature, and that's the entirety of the band. They all have such strong signature. And even if you, when you know, back at this time when we were kids, Ozzy Osbourne was kind of, he was kind of a little bit of a joke character in pop culture for kids, right? Because oh, for sure, yeah, he had his reality TV show, but even before that, yeah, even before that, because he, it was kind of, he was kind of in the same world as you know, Poison and Motley Crue and all of that, and it, you know, <laughs> glamorous uh, stuff for girls almost, right? Yeah, and. Uh, and and uh, but but then uh, okay, we're listening to this guy, and it's like okay, it's Osborne is still a big deal. I don't know who really cares anymore because we didn't certainly care about that kind of stuff. But we listen to this guy, and he is an excellent communicator and singer. Yeah, and the way he phrases, like even if you if you listen to a lot of Dead Rock songs, you can hear that I I very often I bend the tone in a in a kind of way that I'm, I'm sure was affected by listening to so much of Ozzy Osbourne singing, <laughs> right? That's cool. So, so for us, it was it was almost like, well, I I understand what you're saying about being a filmmaker in Boston, um, but but uh, I love I love I love that circumstance because we had to come up with yeah, or that allowed us to develop a very strong signature for ourselves. And I never really cared how far that was going to take us. I just love the fact that there is a little piece of this planet where we can do something where we developed a strong signature, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, I loved it too. And, you know, you know, I had to eventually make the move out here to Los Angeles because in our business, you need to be around actors and money and all that kind of shit. But like, to be honest, we did it the same for a lot, for a time, for, for, well, quite a few years, we had our management, record label, business management, accountants, everything in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what you do. But then, my friend, you got to get out of there again. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. Because then it ch- it changes you, right? Because you're you end yes. up running in the rat race that's out here, and you're you're sort of chasing the wrong that's, things, and then you're sort of dealing with you know the gatekeepers consistently, and and then the next yeah. thing you know, you lose track of like where am I getting my fucking creativity from, and how am I? Yeah, oh man, we were so scared of that because we were actually considering moving there because because some of us had had small children, but even our wives and or girlfriends wanted to move over because mm-hmm. why not for a year or whatever, but then yeah, to such a strong degree, we felt that we because we were 
receptive to that. And I mean, I'm sure you were too, because I mean, the first time you actually see money on your bank account, that's like, yeah, <laughs> holy shit, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. like I remember the first, I'm still married to my girlfriend. We got back together in 2002. Nice. And I remember the first time we ever went on a, like a proper date to a fancy restaurant. The only reason why was, was because my friend was the, um, or what? What is it called? Not the butler, but the head uh, waiter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he and he said, "Why don't you take her on a date here and uh, don't worry about the bill?" Oh, nice. Because that'll disappear, right? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and that was how we were. We loved that. Like we 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 did as little as possible that would make any money because we we wanted to be real. We wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to be able to live up of as little as possible. Sure. So, 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 so. I mean, like for instance, I I worked as a promoter from let me think, two thousand and yeah, two thousand and two, two thousand and seven. I worked as a promoter for for a concert ho- place in Bergen, which was part of a, a a huge important gallery in Norwegian in the Norwegian. Uh, <laughs> Um, world mm-hmm. and and the kind of the kind of bands we had there was the ca- same kind of booking as you would find at a place like Tonic in New York City. So it was mm. a super experimental club scene where we kind of mashed together alternative dance music, but also experimental and noise and alternative jazz and all sorts of stuff. And obviously that didn't pay anything, right? And it was so amazingly inspiring, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So we would bump into these amazing artists all around the world that had played at my place, like even shit like Ruins from Japan and, and um, well, a lot of U.S. artists too. But, but then when we, when we ended up in this situation where we're sitting in Los Angeles and suddenly we start getting synchronizations to Coca-Cola, yeah. Microsoft, yeah, right. Google, uh, Samsung, you know, Radio Shack, we, our songs end up in the trailer of Gulliver's Travels with Jack Black, you know, <laughs> you know, we're, suddenly, you know we're, we're in Chuck, we're in, we're in Vampire Diaries. I mean, you know, and then it's four FIFA games. It's uh, Need for Speed, Madden NFL, NHL. Uh, I mean, it's, you're in a carousel and you can't really even, you can't even consider stopping it because for the first time of your life, you're making money. You're in the middle of a whirlwind. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, right. But that shit scared us, man.
bet, man. So that's a weird thing because I was going to ask you about that because you, you know, with your song "Fa Fa Fa," that that really caught fire as far as uh, commercials go and commercialization goes mm-hmm. and the licensing goes. Right? Is that was that yeah. really the, the first track that you guys got that sort of corporate traction with? Yeah, but but it was it was so random. You can't believe it. Well, okay. So the first time we had a song in an international film was was a punk song called um, I don't remember. I think it's the new song. It's the new song, right? It's a it's a punk song, and uh, I mean we were just slackers, so we didn't have much to say. So it's just a song about this is a new song. Okay, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that and that and that of of course went down well in a skateboarding snowboarding kind of community. So it ended up in a. I think the film was called King Size, which was a big, which was a big deal that year. Okay. But the but but the uh, we went from zero to Coca Cola. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. That's crazy. You know? Cause, yeah, because we were. I mean, we would be. I guess you know any person who looked at how we lived our lives and where we played and la la la, they would probably say we were basically a punk band. Yep. the first couple of years right yeah yep. and i remember on one of those scruffy tours we're sitting backstage at a place called paradiso in amsterdam and we're like what what are we doing we're actually adult because we started the band when we we're grown up right and we're yeah, like yeah okay so we don't make any money <laughs> and we're just using this as a good excuse to get wasted as often as possible <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun but what the hell are we doing i mean all of our friends, you know, have a, a they have an apartment. And yeah, they, yeah, they know, have they, a job. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. we're grown ups. I don't know how old we were, but um, yes, I do. We were thirty, for fuck's sake. Yeah. So in in two thousand and six, we're thirty years old. We're sitting there and we're like, we have to relate to the fact that we're actually adult now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And then we get a phone call, and then Coca Cola wants to use Papa Far for an international ad. It's crazy, dude. Right. And that just snowballed into all those synchronizations that I just mentioned, plus a gazillion others. It's nuts. It's nuts. But mind you, mind you, mind you, this is, this is speaking of the whole thing of being, first and foremost, a creative, and then being caught into this loop of com- commercialism. Yeah. We only synchronize shit that we made for a label owned by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, made for our friends we didn't have management we didn't have nothing that's crazy when we made all of these songs the only people we tried to impress were our nasty dirty uh foul-mouthed asshole uh friends right <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> what never that's like. in a million years dreamed <laughs> of the fact that 50 percent of our audience would ever be female yeah. i mean i mean if we if we did a show and it was a lot of people there we would we would kind of we would shout at them as like, and shout shit like, why are you here? Do you have nothing better to do in your life? And by the way, it's a Sunday. Are you all unemployed? You know, that's the kind of shows we did. You know? <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and obviously people loved it. And, but but it, it, was, it had, had absolutely no mainstream commercial aspirations. And, and if you think about the fact that Far, Far, Far was released March 2005, Mm-hmm. Which means it was recorded in two thousand and four. By the way, I wrote that song in a, about two seconds, and <laughs> and 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 uh, and that ended up in all those uh, synchronization c- c- scenarios in two thousand and seven. Yeah. So two years later. Yeah. 
Right, because it's then it's completely out of your exit. I mean, other than the fact that you guys are playing it live, I assume it's it's out of your mind as far as like like that song is done for you, right? You you write it, it's finished, it's you, and you just assume that you're going to play it live, and then that's it. And then then you get a fucking call from you know, Coca Cola. When we when we released that album, it was so well reviewed in in alternative press around the world. Nobody mentioned Fa Fa Fa. Like everybody mentioned uh, Laurie because people realized that it was a tribute to Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But and, and a lot of people they commented on Computer Camp Love because again it's obviously paraphrasing uh, Summer Loving from Greece, right? In a in a pretty funny way. Sure. But in two thousand and five, nobody talked about uh, about Talking Heads. Like Talking Heads was kind of off the map at the exactly, time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So so this was our tribute song to to Talking Heads, quite obviously, and nobody really cared. Because it was kind of whatever, right? And and then even it, it was listed, Computer Camp Love was on the list of the 100 best tracks of the year in Rolling Stone magazine, to our great surprise. Mm-hmm. And the debut came in at 36 on Enemies Best Albums of the Year. That's crazy. And mind you, this is on our own label. On This was the first release on our own label, which we still to this day never registered any anywhere. It's not really a... It's never... It's never been registered as a company anywhere. <laughs> well, I mean, but you know what's interesting about that? And I think what makes that really special is that, you know, because I've done a lot of work in, the, like, I was a music video director for years, and I understand how label, yeah. how big labels work. And there's a whole lot of, you know, unspoken payola. There's a whole lot of bullying that goes on to get albums mm-hmm. and artists on charts and on lists. Yeah. And so for your yeah. album to get on a list, that means it actually affected, <laughs> like it affected the people that it was supposed to affect to get on those lists. Because it, I, I assume that in your downtime, yeah. you guys aren't walking around with baseball bats trying to get people to put your album no, on no. lists. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, no, no, we, uh, we're from Norway. We don't have baseball bats. We have football <laughs> shoes. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and, the, and that's what I'm saying, man. Like what happened back then was, what what we experienced was shit that grew out of MySpace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a chao- it was a chaotic time with shit that has never happened in the history of mankind happened and it will never happen again. Every it was so counterintuitive to how this goddamn entertainment business is kind of usually works, right? Yeah, yeah. Because nobody could affect anything on MySpace. And you know, for instance, one of the first things that happened to us on a grand scale was was myspace put us on uh featured artists on the like they made us featured artists um do, do you remember what that was featured artist of the month yeah 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 it's been a while yeah but i remember yeah because they were really trying to make that a big deal on myspace yeah but they, basically for people who don't remember myspace that was um the, you, you ended up on the opening page of, of uh, the first social media network, which was called MySpace. And and by the time we, we were featured artists, there was 28 million unique users every day. Yeah, and crazy. we were on the front page. So everybody saw us for two weeks. That's nuts. Two weeks. At, at the speed yeah, that we nuts. digest content right now, for you to end up on a page... On any page yeah. right now, and you'll be there for like three hours. So to yeah, be up yeah, there for like, two weeks. Yeah, it's like you, 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 yeah, you know, someone tells us, yeah, we're gonna premiere a video for you on whatever page, and then we're like, yippee, they're gonna premiere our video, and then we go to that page, and it's one out of twenty premieres that exactly, day. Exactly, you know? dude. Exactly. But listen to this. You won't believe this. This is the, the this is the beauty of the chaos back then. Uh, we, we met the guys who created MySpace in uh, Miami at the Winter Music Conference, hmm. and 
And we had uh, befriended Steve Aoki, not because he's the Steve Aoki of today, but because he's the Steve Aoki who used to be the singer in the screamo band called This Machine Kills, who happened to release <laughs> a split 7-inch mm-hmm. with some friends of mine called J.R. Ewing, who happened to record their shit staying at my place in Bergen. So Steve Aoki <laughs> knew this hardcore guys from Norway that I knew, and then he picked up Daydrock, he liked us, blah, blah, blah. No, no business relationship whatsoever. It was just we we had some mutual friends, sure, right? Sure. So he so so he Steve Aoki when he was still kind of a hardcore kid in in Los Angeles he he started um, well booking us to stuff and and I mean he and Frankie Chan were the guys of ta- of the town back then who kind of merged alternative mm-hmm. electronic music with with hardcore mm-hmm. and um, and uh, he was a club promoter right he had sin the space he, he wasn't a dj he had, hadn't started djing yet really right, right. anyways so we're, so so we're sitting having lunch with him and i think a track and these guys from from myspace and i asked them like I politely asked them i just have to ask you why the hell did a baby band from bergen that nobody knew about end up on front page of your world dominant uh, myspace uh, page <laughs> And then they started uh, chuckling, and they were like, <laughs> "It was him. He he made us do it." Because <laughs> they they never heard about Data Rock, obviously, because these were these were some tech nerds from Los Angeles, right? Sure, of course. Steve Aoki, for whatever reason, just gave them a phone call. This was probably a five second conversation, right? And he just said, "Hey guys, I think you should put up Data Rock because they're cool." And then what? And they went, "Okay," and that's it. <laughs> you know. And that phone call changed our lives. And we didn't even have any business relationship with this man at all. Yeah, man. That's crazy. Nothing like that is ever going to happen again. That's crazy. Like the world has been so homogenized and so, well, brutally made into a, <laughs> a monopolized uh, business uh, yes. web. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, it's completely different now. And it, like... It is when you when it you is. hear when you hear stories like that, um, yeah, you know, it, it, I think it's it's kind of it's awe inspiring. I think for a lot of folks that try to work the system, but they, they, you just don't realize that there's no working the fucking system. At, at the end of the no. day, you have to be. It seems like you just have to be genuine. You have to find some way of being okay, just playing yeah. and, and loving your shit, and then be a good person around other people, and then. There's nothing more powerful than having somebody else tell somebody about you, and that, that that's, that's a yeah, huge, I know it's a yeah. huge difference yeah. than you 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 know you writing to MySpace saying we're the shit. You should probably put <laughs> us up on your homepage. You know what I mean? There's a huge fucking difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, 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 but then everything has become so confusing, right? Because because. Uh, Facebook has been very hard for people to even find information on. Yeah, and 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 Instagram sure as hell is uh, is a you know paid for. Yeah, it's a fucking uh, it's a goddamn corporate fucking monopoly. And the no, the no, it is the algorithms and, and, and shit. The two companies are the same, and then yeah. obviously the same thing probably goes for everything else, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's 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 all uh, I rub your back, you rub mine, blah 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 world. But for a short period of time, yeah, yep. It was chaos, and to a certain extent, I think chaos can reign again. But it, 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 it requires of people to sort of take, 
you know, control over the means. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> well, it, requ- it requires them to give a shit to take control over yeah, the exactly. means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and start writing. Like, like for instance, I love it when, when people write, oh, check out this new s- song. from. Uh, for instance, I discovered this amazing new band from, from the UK called Blue Bandy. Okay. And I can only imagine what that name means. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Blue Bandy. Like they're, I love them, and and um, I, I mean, I, I I fucking love them. They're like this weird mix of the Fall and Morrissey, or, and 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 also stuff like um, super cool, a little bit of post rock and, and a Swedish band called uh, Bob Hund. But anyways, um, and uh, and because I'm exposed to this band, I just assume that they have a huge following, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're amazing, mm-hmm. and then I look at their numbers, and nobody's listening to them. Yes. Right. Yes. But if enough people do that, enough people would go like me and just go, "Oh my god!" So I, I immediately posted, a, "I love this band. Check them out." Yes. So, so that's what people have to do. Like, if if we just let ourselves be caught in uh, up in this terrible uh, um, way of using social media, where you just scroll and scroll and scroll and look at all sorts of crap, and then. Once every twenty years, you have a, a some rando that sort of floats to the surface of the of the tide. Yeah, but that's yeah. not good enough. That's not good enough, right? And then we and then we let ourselves be fooled by the fact that oh, Wes Anderson is such an alternative filmmaker, and now it's a new alternative film that oh, he's in this huge system. Yeah, of course. If Wes Anderson makes anything, like someone presses a button, the millions go out of the account, and the promotion is ready, set, go. Yeah, you know, dude. but but where's Hal Hartley? Yeah, you know, right. And it, this, this is funny because I had a, a a conversation over beers the other night with a fellow director, and we were talking about A twenty four and and how everybody looks at A twenty four as being like this great indie company, and they don't realize if you go and do do the research on A twenty four, they're financed by banks, and when they came out of the yeah. gate, they came out with you know millions, hundreds of millions of dollars behind them to do that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 it's not yeah, yeah, truly yeah, yeah. independent. It's marketed independent stuff that's, that's sent to you. Yeah, no, but I, I remember one of the things that I found, because back then, I I mean, we grew up with Jim Jarmusch and stuff like yes, that, right? Yes, yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and we, we, and, and and of course we we found Tarantino very, very amusing with Reservoir Reservoir Dogs and the early stuff and and uh, and of course David Lynch stuff and all of that and you know everybody loves the story where he I don't know if he can, he can be trusted because uh, that trans that transcendental meditation guru guy is <laughs> not necessarily to be trusted but yeah. but have you heard yeah. the story when he supposedly turned down George Lucas. For direct, directing a Star Wars film? Yes, I have heard that story. Yes, it's been a while yeah. since I've heard that one. Yep. Yeah, if that is a true story, nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I love the fact that he might have. You know? Yeah, me I too. Love that. Me too, man. There's- that's, that, that, you know, that sums up integrity, kind of. Sure. But anyways, and then, and then in the middle of all this very interesting shit that was happening when suddenly you had all these amazing new directors that, by the way, also made us aware of auteurs like François Truffaut yes. and stuff like that. Yes. Right? Yes. So they also opened our eyes to all those amazing artists that have been kind of market uh, mm, opposers throughout time, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
but then there, then there occurs a little story about Roberto Rodriguez, where they say that when he made El Mariachi, everybody said, oh, it's an indie film. But then it was said that that's a joke. It was financed by Sony, who already had the plan to do the remake with uh, Antonio Banderas. And it was, a, it was a way to build Roberto Rodriguez's profile in a world where people want filmmakers to be young and hip and cool and independent. Oh, I had right? not heard, I've never heard this story. Where'd you hear this story? That's fascinating. Well, it was a saying, and I mean, we were severe nerds. Like, like there's something called Cinemateca <laughs> in Bergen, which is the student films, film club, and they show everything that you have to see. Uh, I almost didn't endure the entire uh, Citizen Kane, but okay. <laughs> that's that's a masterpiece that I just don't really dig. I just have to in- admit it. I, I like the fact that he is personally offending, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the Hurst, real Hurst, right? Yeah, Hurst, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that he, like, for instance, do you know the story about why, why he refers to that goddamn sledge as Rosebud? Yeah, it was. What, it story? was. It was what he called like his his mistress or something, wasn't that what it was in real life? Oh man, it's even worse. It's what he referred to his mistress' vagina. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and then and then for that motherfucker to put that into the script just to poke him in the eye or the brown eye or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> that's so funny. No, but we we, we were so in into the alternative um, film scene, and I think we all thought that we were gonna end up making movies somehow when we're all older. Yeah. But, but anyways, and, and then, um, so, so it was just a, something people said back then. I never read it anywhere. You know, I don't know if it's true, but it's not unlikely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the only reason why it perked my interest. Cause you know, you, yeah, it's not unlikely. Yeah. It's always weird, man. Especially, especially in my, in my time out here and I start hanging out with people out here. And then when I started to work, uh, as a music video director and and then yeah. as a commercial director, you start to see the mm-hmm. behind the scenes and how this shit actually fucking runs and and you mm-hmm. sit there and you go, Jesus Christ, that's not real and that wasn't organic and fuck. All right. And oh, you yeah. you start to understand now, especially now, right? Because when did advertising really hit its like it started to really grow in what the the fifties or something? And the years and years yeah. that they've had with psychiatrists and studies oh, and, and oh lab man. studies and sort of testing yeah. how to brainwash us in, in the most specific way. At this point, they've got us all convinced that we're not fucking brainwashed, but we're still <laughs> addicted to the fucking phones and all this other shit, man. It's crazy. No, it is. And it's, oh, it's embarrassing. And I'm so, I'm so, well, I'm so happy we got to see the world before everything kind of <laughs> yeah. became the way it is right now. I don't know if we are immune to anything. I mean, of course, we're very uh, receptive to uh, our kind of junk, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, definitely. But, but uh, okay, so going back to you being creative from Boston and me being creative from a weird little place in Bergen, what, what was so interesting about the place I come from is that, of course, you didn't have an international music industry here whatsoever, right? But suddenly, suddenly out of the blue, these... These uh, lunatic uh, friends of ours in Bergen who had corpse makeup and made music <laughs> that sounded like it was recorded on a broken cassette player, they they got a lot of international attention with black metal. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so, so then on one hand, you have black metal, uh, which was, I mean, a lot of those guys were just punk 
kid friends of ours and we played thrash metal together with them when we were kids right <laughs> yeah but then as they grew adult they they, they became a, a lot more etherical and spiritual in the way they made music and they really connected with a certain kind of demographic around the world right yeah, yeah right. so so on one, one side you had this black metal <coughs> phenomenon really spreading that weird signature around the world on the other hand, suddenly you had Kings of Convenience, who, by the way, has said in interviews that I taught them how to play guitar like that, <laughs> which I take great pride in. I'm also very envious of their success, but okay. <laughs> they, 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 they do the same as the black metal, but they sound like Sar Simon and Garfunkel, you know, which is absolutely the opposite of black metal. And, and they're signed to this French label called Source, happened to be located in London, uh, who is happening to be, uh, I mean, booming as an alternative music town at the time. So so they sort of jump, jumped on that, um, you know, quite this new loud kind of thing that was happening in, in England with with the Bell and Sebastian, right? Yeah. And, and they actually called their first album uh, Quiet is the New Loud, to be honest. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the name of their first album. Right, 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 right. And then on the opposite side, you had... You had a duo called Rakesop emerging in Bergen, and they and they did the same. They signed also to stores and ended up, you know, getting MTV awards and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And 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 all of these guys were recording themselves in Bergen with just friends in Bergen, recording, mixing, mastering, doing the artwork, and all of that. Mm -hmm. So out of this little town, by the way, there's just three hundred fifty thousand people living here. So now it's now it's becoming a, a music spot because of all this stuff or is this yeah exactly at least it gives you a little bit of belief in something can happen right yeah. and then a handful of others kind of follow and and we were one of them and now uh fast forward to a couple of years ago you have a guy called uh alan walker from bergen who has been streamed billions of times yeah there's a guy called uh well did i say alan walker or kaigo i don't remember he said what alan said. walker he said alan Okay, so Alan Walker is just a kid who released a, a song called Fade when he was in a Christian high school. So this is just a super straight kid yeah. who released a song called uh, Faded or Fade, I don't remember. And it was picked up by this gaming YouTube channel in Japan, which was huge. And that's it. That's everything that happened to the kid. No, that song has been streamed a billion times. It's nuts. Right? That's nuts. And then you have this other guy who started doing uh, an unauthorized remixes for all sorts of artists and then out of the blue chris martin contacts him and asks if he wants to do a remix for <coughs> for um what was oh i love that come again i'm trying to i'm trying to think of what the song is as you say i love it none of us remember what that yeah. band is called and i even <laughs> supported them once yeah i know <laughs> it's the business <laughs> yeah i know i love that well the, probably the biggest guitar pop band on the planet what the hell is their name i know i know i know, I know. i'm blanking dude i'm blaming it on the fact oh. that i woke up a few hours ago <laughs> okay yeah and i'm blaming it on the fact that it's late here anyways so 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 he does this remix for chris martin and his friends oh i love it that none of us remember they just sold 10 times 100,000 tickets in argentina they sold a million tickets in 10 days but we don't remember them yeah anyways uh coldplay coldplay, coldplay. yeah coldplay coldplay but 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of young kids going, who's Coldplay? <laughs> and, and, and this guy rocketed, this Kygo guy, and he's also streamed more than a billion times. It's crazy. Right? And then, then suddenly there's a girl coming out of Bergen called Aurora, massive, huge international deal. She, you know, she's even the, 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 the voice of the Northern Light in Frozen. So she, so she became, an, uh, you know, basically a Disney artist. Sure, right? sure. And then, and then there is another one called Sigrid, which re- even before she released anything, BBC Radio 1 said she is the voice of next year, and that was 2017. So, so, so right now, Bergen is a, is, no, it is a bu- music industry here, and people actually make a, a lot of money. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how that works. No, it is. But when we were young, we were in this beautiful community of, you know, very, uh, you know, very, it was, um, it was a tiny community where everybody helped each other. We were all dirt poor and we had a fucking amazing time all the time. And to be honest, the further down that business side of things we went, the less uh, kind of point it was. It was less, I mean, the audience were clearly not, it didn't mean much to them. It was, we didn't play for for people that sort of got together because of a shared interest or the shared humor or shared spitefulness or uh, a shared, uh, you know, approach to life. We started playing for people who, you know, I don't mind these people. They, they must do what they must do, but it was very different to the, to the first many, many years of our career where we met kind of people that, we felt we made a difference to, sure, and who also en- enriched our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's what happened. We we sort of so the better shit was going, the more revenue we had, the less and less inspired we were to keep going. Okay, it's time to take a hot second. I'm going to do them quick because there's a lot of interview to get to today. Time to take a hot second to talk about the sponsors, the people that support our show. I'm talking about the men and women that uh, love and love with the process. They love our fans. They make the gear and the equipment that we need and we love to use and the tools that don't control us. (laughs) says this guy. Um, First up, our friends over at Puget Systems. If you are in the marketplace to build yourself a new computer, why not build yourself a PC, save yourself money, build yourself something that is upgradable? Uh, I went and I found this company called Puget Systems. They're family-owned, Upper West Coast company. Love them. They build amazing PCs. And what's so great about Puget Systems is that they, they don't make hardware. They do the hard work, the legwork. They benchmark test all the different gear that is out there. They figure out the best configurations for a computer to work on the software that you're going to use it on. How great is that? It's not like a generic all-for-one. You could build yourself a generic all-for-one, but you can get real nerdy if you're someone that is just doing like a Pro Tools gig or you're you're trying to do a sound mixing thing or maybe you're using Photoshop or Premiere or if you're deep in the world of uh, Resolve, um, these guys know it all, man. They do. And if you're going to build your own computer, let's say you don't even want to buy one from them, go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. At one point, they had a consulting thing. They might still have that where you can consult with them. 
and do that, but they also share all of their information up there, benchmark tests and all that stuff. PugetSystems.com is a place to go if you're ready to be, if you're ready to buy yourself a brand new computer. All right. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Fujifilm. Fujifilm, we love Fujifilm, right? You've been listening. If, if you're a fan of the show, you've been listening to the Fujifilm Creator Series. We talk about how this manufacturing company, this camera manufacturing company, gives a shit enough about artists that they actually finance short films and finance photo sets and all that kind of great stuff. They care. They care about the art. Um, and what I love about them is their, their cameras are the best rigs to have, right? There are a hundred different rigs out there. There are a hundred different re reasons to use each one, but it's all about what are you going to have here in your house that is your kit, that is your regular kit that you use to test things out, to shoot B-roll. Uh, you bunch of your friends on a Sunday decide you want to shoot a short film. I love their cameras for it. And it, if you're a photographer and you're in the situation where you're on video sets and you also have to be shooting billboard quality fucking photos using photo lights, I'm sorry, using video lights that don't really have the exposure that you need. That's why Gina and I got into it. GFX 100S, we love that camera. We've been using that for a long time now. Gina has been shooting some beautiful images with that. Uh, and she not only has been using the Fujifilm lenses, which have amazing autofocus capability, which really puts uh, rest assured when you're shooting in low light situations that you're actually getting the shot in focus, right? That's a big deal. Um, but also the ability to strap on lens adapters and then put like old school lenses on this large format camera. It is the shit. GFX 100S, we love this rig. Um, Fujifilm, check the links out in the description of today's episode. I also have, and the links are trackable by the way, so it's the best way for you to let our sponsors know that you're listening. So it takes no time for you to do that. So click the link in the description of the episode and check out the refurbished link because that refurbished link oftentimes will have camera bodies and lenses up there at a discounted price, um, and it's a lot more affordable for you. You know what I'm saying? Fujifilm, love these folks. I uh, can't say enough great things about them. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Boca Rentals. If you, <clears throat> Let's say you have your Fujifilm camera and you got yourself one of those PL mount adapters from Adapter Company, and uh, you're like, man, I want to put some anamorphics on this and see what they look like. But you're not going to own anamorphics unless you're a gear guy, right? Most people don't own that stuff. You got to make a relationship with your local rental house. And if you're here in Los Angeles, Boca Rentals is my highly suggested place to go. These guys have access to all the best lenses in the marketplace, the stuff that is being used to shot all this, to shoot all the shows that you watch, the movies that you love, the really cool, innovative lens gear and, and camera packages are all there. Uh, Boca Rentals, they have a location here in Los Angeles. They have a location in Las Vegas as well. Um, and not only are they your camera support provider out here, but they also like teach, run courses, put together events. Their Instagram at Boca Rentals is amazing for learning about stuff. I can't say enough good things about these guys either. I love them. If you go and you get some gear, take a picture of you in the rental house. Send them to me. Uh, and let Boca Rentals know that I sent you and maybe they'll hook you up. All right? BocaRentals.com. Uh, who am I forgetting here? We got Boca, we got Fuji, we got those guys. I think that's it for today's show. That's it for today's show. 
I got a couple of other sponsors on, but you guys got to confirm with me. So that's what we got going for today. And as always, make sure you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Check out the episodes curated by Subject Material. All right. So if you want to listen to all of the Chef's episodes, maybe you want to listen to Gina and my, our voyage from the East Coast to the West Coast. There's a whole series where I document what it's like coming out here, looking for apartments, packing things up, going on the road. It's a great series. You'll find all that stuff at aloveoftheprocess.com. That's it. Let's get back into the epic interview with Frederic. I, I like, and, and this is this is great that we're talking about this because. You hear this, right? Like whether you're talking about, you know, big bands like Metallica, you're talking about like larger acts that that go from, you know, what seemed like the most innocent source of playing, the most innocent place of doing it because we love it, doing it because it's fun, doing it because we get yeah. wasted every night, we have a great time. And then, yeah. then uh, you know, you start to hit that point where – you get older, you start having more responsibilities, right? You start to get oh, families, yeah. you start to get more shit. Then you start asking yeah. that question, like, fuck, I, am I, a, am I a, an adult now? And, and you're getting pressures from the outside community of people going like, is this what you're going to fucking do for the rest of your life? Are you going to yeah. make some money? Right. And so then you start playing with stress, right? You start, it's loaded. Everything that you're making then is loaded because you're like, look, I got to make some fucking money. And, and then when yeah. you start making money, I am in the same boat. When you start to make cash, you start to go, well, apparently the system likes me and there's got to be yeah. a way for me to game the system now. And I, I should be playing by the system's rules if I want to continue to make yeah. that money. And then you fall down in this hole of like uninspired uh, depression, at least I've found where. No, me too. And I think also for, for a while you might be perhaps you're picking up on the fact that this shit is happening, but then oh, at the same time you start, you know, you're, you're staying at fancy hotels, you start eating at fancy dinners and suddenly, suddenly you have a car and suddenly you have a nice car. And then suddenly uh, you, people around you expect you to, to actually uh, make the same money as a year that was a good year. And what they don't understand is that it was only a good year because you sold out to some whatever commercial and it yeah. wasn't a good year because of what you really do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to this. Um, I don't want to, uh, I mean, this is a beer conversation. I'm going to open a beer. Yeah, do just, it, okay, do this it. is the sound of a beer being opened in Bergen. Dude, I would do it right there. Oh, it's almost noon. I can probably do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm 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 on the good I'm well it's nine. It's almost nine in the evening, so I'm good. Yeah. Hey, drink a beer, man. You're in Los Angeles. I know, I know, I know, I know. I gotta <laughs> <laughs> No, but listen up. Yeah. I think I think I think you might even go into depression without knowing it. You do, you do, you know? 100%, 100%. And there's so many ways that that depression um, materializes itself. It might be so that you you drown yourself in work that might be super dumb, but at least you're busy enough not to really notice that you're yes. depressed. Yes, I do that. You know, yep. Or, yep. Yeah, and... 
But then, okay, in, in my case, it was there was also some things that happened around us that kind of affected everything. But put it this way, 2012, I started uh, a restaurant. Well, it opened the 10th of June 2013. Hmm. So I kind of opted out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and put it this way, opening a restaurant, which is something I never ever did, I, I never really knew how to cook or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just, it, and everybody says, our, opening a restaurant is the most stressful hell on earth. <laughs> yeah, so right, right. If you come from music, you don't go into restaurants because that's even worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I chose that. Crazy, you know? man. Why did you do, why, was it in direct response to how unhappy you were with the music? Were you like, did you find an avenue and just and go, fuck it, I'll just do this instead and maybe this will satiate what I need at that point? Well, okay, so I, I mentioned that I, I, I worked, I, I did the booking for this very alternative club venue in Bergen from 2002 to 2007, right? Yeah, yeah. And then at that time, I mean, that group of people who were involved in this space, we, we were together every day, seven days a week, you know, and, you know, worked their asses off, had a good laugh, uh, uh, very inspiring. Um, and I think I kind of missed that world, right? And, mm-hmm. and this place just happened to be in the same uh, alley. Alley, do you say alley? Uh, dead center of Bergen. It's just, a, it's just a row of galleries and museums, and there was vacancy in this yeah, so this restaurant that we would take the more proper artists that came to visit us, we took them to eat there. <laughs> and this restaurant was shutting down. And the director of the place, he used to be, well, he studied art history with me. And he was the director of a place far away from Bergen. And he used to come to see what we managed to do at that club that I booked, which, as I said, was part of a gallery, right? And, and the way I promoted it was very much like we promote we're promoting we've been promoting data rock where you make you make something super weird mm-hmm. very accessible mm-hmm. to everyone mm-hmm. right so that's always been kind of I, I've, lo- I've always loved doing that take the most nutty thing and present it as if it's relevant to anyone right <laughs> i love it and that's that's what we did at that place i would take like for instance i remember once i booked a japanese duo called afri rampo from Osaka, and nobody knew who they were whatsoever. But I found somewhere that what they, they once supported um, uh, Sonic Youth. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. So I put that in the press release, and and for this these two sisters from Osaka, Osaka, who were just I mean it was a noise duo <laughs> that it had absolutely no audience in Bergen. I sold three hundred and fifty tickets on a Sunday. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know? yeah, it's crazy. So, and, and that's from kind of packaging, right? So, anyways, and, and my friend who was a director at a completely different art gallery, he, he came by those year, years when I was promoting shows there and he saw how we turned this very conservative art gallery into a pulsating creative hub mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for young and old people in, you know, multiple disciplines within the creative scene of Bergen. And I said, and now he had become the director of this huge museum next to that place. And I said, why don't why don't I create a restaurant in this huge museum, which is like an adult version of what we did there from 2002 to 2007, and we'll do this in 2013. Mm-hmm. Right? So it will be live shows on Sundays. It will be DJs on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we will have excellent food. 
And by the way, when we started, we had like, we had five alumni from Thomas Keller's finest restaurants, wow. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we had, we had five chefs coming straight out of Per Se in New York City, that's right? Crazy. So we had, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the entire kitchen were alumni from Per Se. And, and in a matter of months, we had forks and knives in the Michelin Guide. The restaurant now has a Michelin star. Um, we brought it straight up to a revenue of uh, $2 million a year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what I saw was that the community around that kind of food is very similar to the alternative music scene because we did farm to table, which re- means we bought our produce from friends, mm-hmm. some of them from the music scene, uh, who had become ecological farmers or biodynamical farmers, right? So, so what we saw was in that in this world is a very tightly knit group of alternative uh, production, kind of similar to the alternative music scene. That makes sense. Right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to me, that was perhaps more rewarding than spending too much time in the... Right, in the music world, where, where you know, you still had all of that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say past trauma, but you still have all of that stuff from like making the money in the music business and sort of falling down into that. Yeah. And also everybody expected us to be, you know, mildly commercially successful. Right. Then, and it was hard for people to sort of, uh, be happy for our creative success when it didn't also generate money, any revenue. Yeah. yeah. Right. We, for instance, we released in 2014, we released a a 30 minute song and everybody was like, Oh, poor guys. Nobody's listening to it. (laughs) We didn't make it for anybody to listen to it. We made it kind of for ourselves. It was fun. That's the point. You know, that's the point. That's, it's really interesting when you, when, because when you make stuff like you make music and I make movies and ultimately you're making stuff that is going to be seen or processed or listened to by an audience. Right. And so there's always that game of, uh, am I appealing to the audience or am I appealing to myself? And it seems like anytime, that I seek to just appeal to the audience, what I'm doing isn't challenging me enough. And what I'm doing yeah. is kind of fucking lame. And it isn't until I, I, I just finished my new film, which is going to festivals next week. I'm actually going out with it. Oh. It's one of the best things that I've done. And it really yeah. comes out Congrats. of, dude, it comes out of a depression. And, and oh, I was man. so yeah. fucking depressed and it, it was me and my friend and, and he's like, let's just do shit. And I'm like, all yeah. right, we'll just shoot it in the garage. It was like that small. Love it. Um, yeah, love it. Uh, and it just re, and it took a lot, man. It took a lot for me to get out of it. Even when I started shooting it, I was still depressed. And I'm like, fuck this. Yeah. And I hated making it. And then, yeah. it, you know, I got about a halfway through and I was in the edit room and there was that moment where I went, oh, fuck, this is cool. And then boom. And I fell down into this hole of creativity again and i just looked yeah. around and it was it was like i never left and i looked around and i went dude this is why i fucking do it but, but can, you, can you i mean I, i'm trying to not say anything too negative about anyone because i mean i can't really blame anyone we we you know we jumped as hard as we could into we, we just went fuck it let's just see how far we can take it and yeah, yeah. i mean everybody who helped were lovely it wasn't their fault we just didn't enjoy it but can you say anything about what kind of movies you you did and what kind of projects you didn't you didn't appreciate? You don't have to say. Well, I won't be specific, but what what happened was is that so I'm a 
I'm, even though I'm 45, I'm still considered a young filmmaker. And I'm a yeah. guy that got, I spent years directing commercials and music videos because I never thought I had a story to tell. And it wasn't until I had like mm -hmm. a near death experience that sort of triggered everything for me and it changed me into being a narrative filmmaker. Yeah. And this was later yeah. in my, in my life. So probably in my mid thirties or mid to late thirties. Yeah. And so then I started yeah. to do all these like really fun little projects on my own and these little proof of concept pieces, which I love like 12 kilometers. And my, my listeners know this. And so then, um, mm -hmm that they started to get attention. So then it was like yeah. agents and management. And now I'm pitching to studios and I'm in Ridley Scott's office and like all these different places Shit. that are huge. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. now I, once you get signed and once you have management and agents, it's a whole different game. Right. So yeah. that they're yeah. like, yeah. Hey, we can make your movies for you. You go, okay, great. So you go out there, you try to get it made. Shit happens. COVID happens. Harvey Weinstein happens. Yeah. All this bullshit oh, happens yeah. where yeah. suddenly real life uh, situations that I have no fucking control over have yeah. sh like shifted my trajectory as an artist, yeah. uh, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And so now I've got my team, which I'm not shit talking anybody, but I've got my team that is playing by the rules and they're like, just write stuff. And I'm like, okay, but what? Write stuff. See what's popular and write stuff. And so then you're going through the process of going, I don't want to make fucking, because I'm a horror movie guy. I don't want to make horror movies about people stuck in a fucking house. It's like, I see a hundred of those fucking things and I don't want to do, mm. I don't want to do found footage movies. None of that appeals to mm. me. The stuff that I like mm. to make is of larger things and they're adventure things. And I keep getting pulled back down. And I think it hit the peak for me when, um, we're in COVID. It was right after, right during COVID, and and yeah. uh, the world is suddenly being awoken to the injustices of all these different folks. And I'm talking to my uh, agent, and I'm telling him, "Dude, uh, I've got this idea, and I've got this idea for a piece." And he goes, "It's not your time now." And I go, "What?" And he goes, "No one wants to hear from you right now." And I go, well, "What? What do, you, what do you fucking mean?" He goes, "No one wants to hear from you. You're a white dude. No one gives a shit." And I'm oh, like, no. what? And he goes, yeah. And I go, w what can I do with this? He goes, I don't know. There's nothing that you can really do about it. There's nothing you can do. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Man. And that, and it, right around that time, we had a feature that was about to go that got dropped because of COVID and all this other stuff. And it plummeted me, man, hard to the oh, point of where- Of course. Yeah. Of course. Because what can you do? You can't fucking do what anything. What can you do? What did you do? Uh, dude, I- Fell pretty hard, and then uh, yeah. thankfully, my girlfriend, who's also a director, she's a big support system. She's like, "You have to get a therapist." And I, dude, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a boy from Boston, you know, so I'm like, "Fuck a therapy," you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what is yeah, it? no, 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 yeah. What does that mean? And so then I get plummeted into therapy, and I start processing therapy. And look, it was very helpful for me, but I also didn't like what therapy was doing, which was like, "Hey, look, you just got to be okay with it." You got to be okay with yeah. you not having control. And I go, yeah, but if I'm too okay with it, then I become lethargic and I'm not fucking making anything. Like, how do I uh -huh. find the intro? And it really was this podcast that saved me and um, mm. my relationships really? with my friends. Yeah, because, dude, on this show, I get people on consistently, like our conversation yeah. today, where yeah. we talk no bullshit and then they're like, I feel like an imposter. And I'm like, oh, oh you too? And then ne next thing you know, we're all sort of communicating yeah. in such a way where yeah. it's like, oh, wait, this is all bullshit. And my the, the shit, the expectations that I put on myself in this business was built on propaganda that was set in mm -hmm. place in the 90s. That's not fucking real. Yeah. 
you know? And, yeah. so, and so it took, long story short, it took me going through that stuff and having a, uh, an actor friend of mine and, and the two of us just going, let's just play and let's go back yeah. to the roots of it and play in the garage. And, and I honestly can say that we, I've made the best film that I've made because of that. Congrats. Thanks, oh buddy. man, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, but I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, we, if we wait with the new album a little bit, I think that's what happened to, to us too, because yeah. I mean, I mean, we're not self-destructive. We, we, we do want to be able to pay our bills and shit, right? Yes, and, of course. And, and, and I have children and I mean, um, I mean, uh, like every time, cause ugh, you know, the newspapers over here, they actually print what you make, <laughs> like your income. Ugh. And, and, uh, <laughs> so, ugh, and if you, if you're a profile person, they they fucking make a list of what people make. Fuck it's very, you get out of my business. <laughs> That's yeah, a, it's crazy. Yeah, but then you know sometimes that number is very low in my case, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then and then you, uh, because sometimes it's been pretty high too. It it varies. It just uh, you know it, it, if we sold songs to some commercials, obviously there's going to be some money coming in, right? But that won't happen every year. And, of course. And then uh, and as soon as I have like a terrible year, which is something that I've planned, and it's it's not a problem for me at all. I, I can still pay my bills and everything is okay. But then, but then people actually start calling me. Oh, I saw on the paper that are you okay? And <laughs> and, I, and my my mother was very concerned, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, anyways, that's just how I am. Like for instance, when I when I make stuff, I can't really, I can't, uh, I don't really take a lot of intellectual. Um, well it's not an intellectual process when i make shit it's a it's a it's very uh are you is it like an emo is it an emotional thing or are you play is it more playing than it is intellectual like yeah i mean i mean of course lyrics takes a lot of time and and finding the right kind of reference i mean i'm not saying it's a, a an anti-intellectual process but it's it's yeah it's pretty emotional so for instance in when we're doing production and i feel something is wrong it aches in my back like yeah if there's something about the sound that i just hate i don't hate it because i don't think it's gonna you know uh give me a hit song i don't care about that mm. it, it's it's just wrong i just i it, it can't be like this right mm-hmm. and I, same thing when i when i record stuff like that the timing has has to be perfect not because i care what anybody else thinks but just because I think it's the wrong timing. The timing is wrong. We have to do it again and do it again, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. You're a tuning fork for your own work, which is great, dude. Like Yeah, but it's the same thing with the with the restaurants and the interior and how we communicate it and how I want people to act to the to the customers and la la la. I want generosity, not necessarily because it'll generate the profit, but because I genuinely want people to have a good time at our places, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and uh, anyway, so so um so I you know I might put myself in a situation where I have a year where I actually make a little bit of money, but but the same uh, approach to life sometimes puts me in a situation where I make very very little, right? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 then uh, and then that might be a problem, obviously, right? Because uh, that can stress people around me out a little, and uh, 
But anyways, what I found, like involuntarily, by chance, by starting these restaurants, which is something I did, uh, was I ended up having an alternative income, mm. right? I ended up having an alternative so- source of income. And then 2018, um, I sold my 50% of the fine dining restaurant, and suddenly I was available for some projects. And sure. people knew that I had created these now world-famous restaurants, so they took me in as an art director to various projects. Right. Yeah. And stuff like that I can do, you know, with my eyes closed and left hand and drinking beer and smoking a cigarette. Sure. At the same time, you know? But it also, t- it also takes the stress off you. Right. Because now you've got that yes, second source yes, of income. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. But, but uh, I'll tell you like w- the first two chef at, um, at our restaurant, he, um, oh, I don't know if I should say this exactly. Well, I don't know if I can reference this guy using his name. I wish I could. Well, then don't. <laughs> okay, I won't. Okay, so so he, when he when he quit working at, at our place, he was uh, he was um, he was like the golden boy uh, of gastronomy for his age group in the U.S. Right then, <clears throat> there was high expectations to the guy. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then <clears throat> that that basically means that there are investors just waiting to create a restaurant with you. Right? Yeah. Right. But he got a gig uh, cooking for a, a very prominent and very rich uh, person in the U.S. And he thought, oh, why not? That'll perhaps build more network. And and also that person is cool and uh, blah, blah, blah. Perhaps it's nice to have a few years that is a little bit more relaxed. Mm-hmm. And also that'll mm-hmm. give me the time to write like a million super cool ideas and recipes and, uh, you know, read read more up on international gastronomy, blah, 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 right? Sure. But but what he said happened was he became lazy. Yeah. Because because life was so easy. Yeah. Right? So so when life becomes that easy, you know, it's kind of hard to jump back into that world that me and you have been in, for, you know, many, many times where you work sure. without even thinking about it. You work 14 hours a day for months, right? Yeah, for sure. Which, but it's very hard to get into that way of working if you've had a nice time for a couple of years.
I'm always fr- right? like, I fear fucking laziness, man. And and even yeah. though you know I'm nowhere near that, I'm still hard hustling all the time. I still find mm-hmm. myself judging. Like that's the other thing I do is I'm fucking judging myself consistently, going like, asshole, what have you done to yeah. me? Like what have you fucking done? Like, and like I yeah. had to pull myself into work. Yes, thank God I did. I pulled myself into work yesterday and I cut one of the coolest trailers. But it was out of fear. Of the uh, it was like I haven't worked in like three or four days am i being fucking lazy right now and that that yeah, anxiety yeah yeah, yeah. Is yeah yeah a fuel and it's also gonna probably end my life quicker than it needs to <laughs> no man i i i am I'm, I'm exactly the same like a lot of people think that i'm goddamn lazy because uh, that's what it kind of seems like i am but i think i only sleep on average five hours a, a night me too something yeah. like that me because too. me too as soon as uh, my wife and kids fall asleep, I start emailing and shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Or just you know researching or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm very similar, I guess. But I just want to take you back to my my chef friend because yes. it's, it's a very inspiring story. So so the guy spends a couple of years with this uh, person who is a great employer and his life is super nice and he makes a you know nice buck and all of that. Mm-hmm. But then one day he's like, oh shit. I can't forget what I was supposed to do, which was create this restaurant and everybody's expecting me to do this. And he had, you know, high ambitions and blah, blah, blah. But time has gone on for too long. So there are no investors there. Mm. Nobody cares. Oh, you want to start a restaurant? Good luck, you know? Mm. So it ends up with him uh, creating a restaurant with the sole help of his friend. And these people, they, they don't come from money. Right. So, so doing this, you have to, you know, you, you have to build everything yourself. Like mm-hmm. this is tough. This is tough shit. Yeah. And they had to even build it, not center of uh, this city. They had to build it a little bit out of town because it's so expensive Yeah. with the rent and everything. But, but, but what happened is he created this neighborhood restaurant with his father as the only helper and slash investor <laughs> but somehow he ends up being one of the most talked about restaurants in the, the u.s that year just because so cool yeah because he, he managed to pull himself out of it and now he has five restaurants right yeah and and so it's it's like it's almost like i don't know what we can learn from this stuff <laughs> but no i think we can learn a lot from it it's never too late you know it's never too late to, to you know stop being a spoiled brat or stop being lazy or <laughs> you know don't rest on a, a simple income and perhaps you shouldn't care too much about that but rather do cool shit that means something for your community or your peers you know yeah yeah dude and it's it's a struggle. Like it, like it's just, I know exactly what that is. It, like, yeah, I literally felt it yesterday where I, I, I woke up, rolled out of bed, sat on the side of the bed and I went, mm. I, what am I going to do today? And, and in the back of my head, I had, uh, there's this thing that you started that you had some passion in this trailer thing that yeah. you're going to cut. You, yeah. you probably want to do that. And I went, yeah. And then I, like, I called a couple friends and I'm like, what are you doing today? And what I was looking for was an excuse not to fucking do it. And I was hunting yeah. for that. I was like, <laughs> do you want to go vinyl shopping? Like, I was just looking for a reason not to fucking do it. Yeah. And, and yeah. the further I got down in that hole, the more depressed I was with myself. And I'm just sort of sitting there yeah. going like, just pull your shit together. And it, I felt like I was trying yeah. to like get a toddler to go to school. Like, I'm like, go take a yeah. fucking shower, yeah. go, you know, and then sit down and then just do the steps 
Just play, yeah. just do the steps. And it, you know, when, I don't know if you feel this way, if you're cutting music or you're putting music together, like I'll, I'll look for an idea that triggers the entire piece. So I'll go, okay, here's the spark. Yeah. yeah. Here's this yeah, thing. Totally. And then you start to try to build it chronologically yeah. and you hit a point where you go, I can't figure this out. And I go, let me go to the end. And so then I start fucking with the end yeah. and I start building the end. And then eventually, yeah. you know, fucking 12 hours later, it comes yeah. together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And it's like, like with music, like, for instance, sometimes you start writing a song, which is really dumb. And then it's like, okay, this is really dumb, but it's fun. Yep. And uh, let's just do it. And then at the end of it, you go, Oh, wait a minute, because I have this really dumb, fun song. I can now let myself write a song, which is very serious and beautiful for the same album, because it's, uh, well, now, now you can because you have the dumb fun stuff. Too. Sure, so, sure, sure. And, and then, of course, at the end, perhaps you throw out some of them. But you should, you, yeah, just do it. You know, do it. If there's some quality there, you just do it, and you see that it it creates some kind of synergy to the next part you're doing. Or yeah. But but I tell you, okay. So so in my case, because uh, because you're talking about depression, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, like I don't know if I don't know how much. Uh, anxiety issues affected our situation, but but out of the blue in 2014, and I've I've never had like any nervous reaction to doing Jimmy Kimmel or <laughs> you know Coachella or whatever. I never I never was I was never nervous before a show because I don't think perhaps I necessarily regard that entertainer as much as being myself as I would. If I would were to, you know, have a speech in your wedding or something like that, you sure, know? right, that right. stresses me out. But <laughs> going on stage, being no, it does. Like having a speech for twelve people, that stresses me out. But <laughs> but you know, going on stage and doing this show, I've done it. I, I mean, I'm doing it since I was thirteen. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a special way of saying how you doing or being funny or whatever. It, you know, it's I, I don't know. I, I never get nervous. But but then in 2014. Coincidentally, one year after we opened the restaurant, which ended up being something like 45 people employed, it was a hell of a lot of pressure on us because we became such an important thing for that community of serious yes. producers and also local gastronomy and the entire town of Bergen because it was so internationally acclaimed. I mean, we even got four pages in New York Times. See what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. No, it's absolutely crazy. So, but, but, uh, Anyways, so in 2014, suddenly I started getting these completely straight out of the blue panic attacks. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. And, and for the people who haven't experienced it uh, or, or think you might have, but you're not sure, then you haven't had it. Because a real panic attack is so fucking scary. Dude, it's like a heart attack. You think it's a heart attack. I went to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, it completely fucks you up. And you, you, you become so afraid of it happening happening again. You do go to therapy. You try to read about it. But whatever you read or whatever therapy says, you're always you're kind of constantly afraid of this terrible yeah. situation to reoccur in your fucking brain. And yeah. it's so fucking fucked up. It's like beyond, you know, Nero getting his uh, cord ripped out of his neck. You know, it's really <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. So, 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 uh, in, in, in my case, that kind of became like, um, I started become, becoming a little bit worried about this happening. For instance, if I was alone going to, 
a different city, mm-hmm. which I would have no problem doing when I was younger, right? I went to Cairo once because I had a loose oral agreement to meet some friends <laughs> from Bergen, And that agreement was made like two months before. And we said this or that date at this or that uh, hour at the Hilton Hotel in Cairo. And back then, you know, in 96, nobody had a cell phone or anything. Yeah, so I went, because I was in Greece, I went alone to Cairo. Uh-huh. I went to goddamn Hilton. I actually asked the taxi driver to follow me in, in case they weren't there so he could take me further on. And sure as hell, they were sitting there. But I was nervous for a second. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. You know, when we were young, we went to festivals like Roskilde Festival, 120,000 people there. Nobody had a cell phone or anything. I, I went there when I was 16. And the way we agreed to meet up was like, yeah, see you at the left side of the front of house at whatever hour. And that's how we communicated with people in the middle of nowhere with 120,000 people around us. Right? So I, I was not a nervous person, right? But suddenly I start getting, I start realizing that I don't know anymore. If I'm avoiding all sorts of shit, I don't know. Yeah, right, I actually don't right. know if I'm avoiding making a lot of decisions because I'm perhaps afraid of being stressed out and getting a panic attack. Right, 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 right. right? And, and and so so and and most of most of the most like problematic things are gone. Like I thought it was uh, suddenly I started getting really. St- Stressful taking elevators alone. I didn't like driving into uh, tunnels. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I took a plane alone after this, was very nervous. That turned out to be fine because I have this ridiculous trust in other people, especially if they work for a huge enterprise. So I assume that you're safe in an airplane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Well, it also helps that they're at the front of the thing, so they don't want to be yeah, smashed yeah, into yeah, a yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just a, a few years before this, I actually jumped out of a chopper attached attached to a, a person. We jumped out of a of a, a chopper. Oh my god! With a parachute, oh and I didn't god. even get a, a you know, a, a, my heartbeat didn't race. I, I, I was so, but suddenly I, I, I started getting nervous for doing all sorts of crap like being in a crowded room, being too far away from the door. And to be honest, I think most of it is gone now because uh, you also do a little bit of like life-changing shit and like my therapist said it's not normal to only sleep five hours a day and perhaps you should you know start eating and yeah and drinking a little bit more healthy and uh, exercising and all that so anyways but so i don't know how much these things affected my decisions of what i did and what i didn't do to be honest but i think perhaps that's also one of the reasons why we quiet uh, we we ended up quieting down data work a hell of a lot sure right? of course of course man that that makes a lot of sense right because then you're 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 there's nothing worse than than you know living in that it's fear right at that point it's fear and like yeah no totally absolutely but 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 again with you know taking inspiration from my friend who ended up being the personal chef of this person this rich person uh you think that you know this is a negative downward trajectory and it, nothing good comes out of it, but something mu- good might come out of it. Like for instance, you might stop being a dumb fuck, right? <laughs> you know, it's true. It's you might true. also s- suddenly you also s- start having a hell of a lot more understanding and empathy 
for everybody who has issues like that. It's true. Right? It's true. It's a, it's, it's a very broadening, um, it has a very broadening effect on your fucking brain, right? And if you're, I'm a survivor, then you're also, you also might be a self-centered mm-hmm. and... Uh, and it's kind of in denial a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of that. Yeah, but you might also be a person who is a little bit insensitive to what the people who, who don't have that kind of... Sure. Um, level of energy or whatever, right? But so, so I have a completely different understanding of how different we are because I realized that I've been at least two different people myself, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's great. That's growth. That's what that is, man. That's growth. That's yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't regret having this um, experience. And I, of course, I think it's. It, I, I wish I didn't, kind of. But but it, it has broadened absolutely my my life view and everything right and and also it made me rethink a lot of things that i did in my life that i realized that this is just this is something i do out of like for instance when you did all the commercials and all the music videos mm-hmm. a lot of work mm-hmm. we do we do out of just um i think we do out of uh necessity well not even necessity necessity but just you do it automatically yeah, and you get lost. You get lost in the in the system and the chain, and then the next thing you know, you're doing it because you have to do it. And you, you're like, there's a mm-hmm. sense of it's not even competition. It's like it's fear too, right? Because it's like, fuck, if I don't take this job, I don't do this job well, then I'm not going to get the next job. And so then you're you're lost in that shit. But that isn't necessarily true, right? Because if you do this and that and that and that, nobody remembers. Nobody good. Nothing good come out of that. I, I I always joke around like when they're putting me in the ground and they're burying me. No one's going to be like, remember his Sam Adams commercials? <laughs> like no one's going to say that. <laughs> no, exactly right. No one gives a but fuck. But that fucked up short movie that you ended up yeah. airing somewhere. People are going to remember that, you know. Yep. Yep. So yep. and that's what I ended up doing because everything sh- gradually sh- uh, quieted down, and I end up doing this this um, um, art direction gig. Uh, start meeting a little bit different people and you start viewing the world a little bit different and you sort of get out of the treadmill and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, it's not as if I made a lot of money, but I made enough for me not to worry about having to do all sorts of crap that I didn't care much about with Datarock. Yes, 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 yes. You know, so so then I start. Then we started doing, you know, very different music. And and in in twenty, let me think, was it eighteen, twenty sixteen? We started recording an album called Face the Brutality. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to that title, Face the Brutality, <laughs> and it, it's even a song called Laugh in the Face of Darkness. So I think that kind of grew out partly of of this uh, anxiety issues and um, ha- you know having to change my life and and also kind of perhaps dealing with some really terrible things that we were involved in a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't a Daydrug album. That wasn't, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if that should have ever been released as Daydrug. I, I think it's a, I think it's a lovely album, but it's kind of in between everything. I don't know. I don't know how, to, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Right. But I mean, it's, it's the results of what you were going through, right? It's, it's like, it it feels like you you had no choice but but to have to like release what you had been through in one way or another artistically. Right? You're right. Yeah. No, you're right. But put it this way, I think it was perhaps a little bit too much me and too little the band. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. so 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 I kind of forced upon a, a, a project we 
me and my friends had together as our personal Prozac. I mean, we're we're kind of you know we're grumpy, uh, <laughs> smart ass, uh, uh, slacker assholes, right? And we used Data Rock as something in our lives where we could have genuine fun, mm-hmm. and we had genuine fun with other uh, smart ass, you know, jackoffs around the world who think too highly of themselves and too little about others to have actual f- fun <laughs> with people, right? <laughs> yeah. And then it became this amazing thing where we traveled around the world and we we made, you know, punk kids and, uh, you know, s- well, smart nerds uh, have a little bit of dumb fun for yeah. an hour, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for me to see that audience of, you know, um, semi-depressed smart kids actually laughing and ending up you know bare chested and waving their t-shirts and uh, <laughs> and whatever you know uh mosh pitting and leaving the place sweaty with a girl that must be so satisfying dude that must be so satisfying to get that a hundred percent and just seeing you know a lot of people with that are, you can see that they're genuinely happy yeah right that yeah. that's been that's been our fucking prozac for 23 years right yeah yeah and then, but then I brought this goddamn um, kind of depressing, ver- depre- depressed or somewhat depressed version of myself into the band. Whereas the band is supposed to be where people with perhaps um, not a, exactly a, a fun-loving core come together and make pretty fun-loving shit, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but then we make this album, and it was. Mm, I think perhaps it was it wasn't damaging, but it was it was in hindsight it's kind of clear for me that that isn't what data work was supposed to be mm-hmm. for us as a group of friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was became very clear to me when I ended up in two when you know we we were supposed to celebrate the 15 year anniversary of our debut album in 2020, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And our and our debut album, which has Fa 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 and all of those songs that you know gave pleasure to a lot of people around the world. That was, was released March 2005, and we were supposed to celebrate the 15-year anniversary in in March 2020, right? Mm-hmm. But but the, but March 13, Norway shut down like solid, yeah, complete lockdown, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so just as we were supposed to tour uh, the 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 15-year year anniversary, and we were so looking forward to it, right? Because this was pre everything not positive that has happened to our lives. This is, this is back in the, in the good old days when we were young and we were still dumb and fun. And mm-hmm. and you get to, you get to relive, you get to relive that a bit when you, when you were getting Yeah, to exactly. Tour. We were supposed to relive it. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And we also, re, we, we uh, rehearsed the original material. We sort of remembered how we made it and why we made it and, and how different it was to all the stuff that we started making after being somewhat commercially successful. Right, mm-hmm. and we also realized that we this creativity that was uh, very you know a lot of it is is weird and pretty interesting, and it was made for our friends and our you know peers who care about weird music wasn't made for you know algorithms and potentially being synchronized or whatnot right <laughs> right right those things were the ones that ended up in all of those success scenarios. Like nothing that we ever made that we thought were, was going to be a hit ever became a, a hit 
not a hit, but you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, On the yeah. same level as those songs that we made without thinking. Without, yeah, exactly. You weren't injecting it with so much. You weren't putting the stress behind it. You were just playing. You were just no, doing so, Yeah, and we realized that everything that we ever did that went far was made not to go far, but made to be whatever it was supposed to be for us, us and our friends, kind of, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, and that's the insight that resulted in this album because w we had that very uh, clear to us because we even had it in our hands, right? Because we knew how to play it again and we knew how to be that young band again because we were going to tour the album. Mm -hmm. But because there was nowhere to take the album and the complete uh, industry shut down, mm -hmm. nobody expected us to do anything that could end up on the radio or in a synchronization scenario or anything like that. No, there was no pressure on us whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I recorded a solo album, which is kind of what I should have done in 2016, right? Right. right. And, and for a solo album, it's completely fine for me to do like, you know, uh, introvert, uh, depressing, negative shit, because it's just my solo album and it's not going to affect anyone else. So, so I made this pretty uh, <laughs> dark um, <laughs> album called Rona Diaries, mm -hmm. right? And Rona Diaries... It got some great reviews, but it was, you know, I mean, it was 2021. Nobody really gave a fuck. Yeah, right. It was a hard time for musicians during during that whole process, man. But then, and, and I, I really, lo I really love that album because it was, it was, you know, it was nice for me to do something solo again for the first time since 2003. And um, uh, and anyways, and, and by coincidence, I was booked to the 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 biggest festival in Scandinavia for art music. Hmm. to perform this solo album with a string quartet. That's cool. That's really cool, man. Yeah. And and then and I I just thought this is too this is too good. I'm going to have to record it and see if it's any good. We're going to mix it and release it as an album. So so then the next year I released the the um, premiere of the songs. Mm -hmm. The first time I played those uh, solo songs. I performed it with the National Ensemble of Contemporary Art Music. I mean, these motherfuckers play uh, string instruments from the from the 16th century. It's insane. That's insane. That's crazy. No, it's absolutely crazy. Like these are on the very top level of um, well, of it's it's a violin player. He's by the way, he's a he's from the US. It's a viola player from uh, Slovenia. It's a it's a, a cellist who was born in what used to be Soviet Union, and then it's a harp player from Norway, and and they're, you know, top of their game. So, yeah. So what happened is that out of this kind of depressing um, solo effort comes this amazing collaboration with this orchestral arranger and this wonderful string quartet, <laughs> and the goddamn live album goes out and gets fucking eight out of ten in uncut magazine. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah and, and I, I was like oh my god it was the biggest high ever i'm like are you fucking kidding me yeah and and, and you know mind you last time i did anything solo um which was 2002 2003 fucking uh, um john peel on bbc radio one loved it so he he would play it back then right yeah yeah, yeah. and the first time i do something solo again Gets got them eight, eight out of ten, which I, by the way, just noticed that Uncut Magazine just gave us for the new Daydrock album too. Uh, but uh, anyways, so so okay. suddenly, where what happened was that I I realized that whatever darkness and uh, 
or more just a lyrical side of what I do. Yeah. As soon as as I got to pour that out into my own solo stuff, where where I feel I can do whatever I I want to do because it, you know as I said it doesn't it doesn't affect anyone it doesn't damage anyone around me right. Mm-hmm. That so so but getting that out of the system made Data Rock such an amazingly much more collaborative effort. Yeah, I get that. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yes, I got a lot. I got so much of me out of this project, and and mind you, the the rest of the guys have done exactly the same. They all have solo efforts, mm-hmm. right? But anyways, so now I could be, now I could be, you know, or we could be genuinely collaborative again. There it is. What a fucking crazy, great connection. And a, what a, an amazing conversation. It, it, I don't know. I've had a few of them when we do the show, and it, and it still surprises me every time it happens. And, and look, I, I'll be completely transparent with you. I rolled out of bed this morning, and I didn't think it was going to be this kind of show. I really didn't. And the fact that it went on for three hours, and the, the fact that we've only listened to half of it, uh, says a lot about the show. And I know I'm going to hold you off. I'm going to give you some time to digest everything that we talked about. Thursday, we're going to release the second part of this episode and definitely come back because it gets even more intense. It gets even more interesting. Um, And uh, I can't... I'm just happy, man. I'm happy that I had this conversation. This is the reason why I do the show. This is the reason why I do the show. And I I would say that this episode is one one of the tops for this podcast. It's the reason why we do it. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you like it. And uh, I hope that uh, the rumors are true and that the writer's strike is going to come to an end. I don't know if the SAG strike has figured itself out yet, but I'm sure it'll be a close second. We need to go back to work. We need to go back to work respected, and we need to go back to work um, to make the art that you need and that you're starving for. Good art. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. Thanks for following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod on Instagram as well. And if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com uh, and check out our super fans tab, you'll find all sorts of really interesting stuff up there. My top three lists between every week, every Tuesday, between now and Halloween, I'm releasing a top three favorite lists in all sorts of subgenres of horror. Uh, I think you even talk about some action in there as well. Um, so if you're looking for new ideas of movies to watch, that is the place to go. All right. Leave you with a track. Without further ado, I'm just going to step out of here. Uh, thanks for uh, listening. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday. Oh,
Yeah.